0: Hey, everyone, Uh, welcome to another episode of Cranked and Ranked. Um, Today it's uh, kind of a, a, a little bit of a different. Kind of episode. Sure, we're going to be ranking shit as usual, but we're going to be talking about our favorite albums from a specific year. And the year that we are going for is 1989. Uh, Before we get into that, quick uh, introductions. I'm Steven, Old Head, uh, YouTube channel. Uh, Over here, uh, we have Eddie Sparks, also from uh, his own YouTube channel um he's pointing but you, yeah you can't see him pointing <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah we're uh, here and we rank rock and metal related shit um if you've been listening we've been doing bands discographies but today we are doing our top 5 favorite albums from 1989 so without further ado as we normally do i just said do twice um <laughs> I'm going to let Mr. Eddie Sparks take the first, uh, uh, I guess the number five, although uh, you're not doing yours in any particular order, correct?
1: I, you know, the the albums that I picked are all from like their own kind of area genre-wise, so I couldn't fairly rank them in terms of quality because they're all so so different. So mine is in no particular order, but... Yours is. I, I stressed myself the fuck out.
0: <laughs> Not only because 1989 was a great year for music. So the fact that we narrowed this down to a top five was a fucking nightmare for me. Um, and then I tried to order things in a top five, which I'm okay with this order. So I'm just going to go with it. But um, from my point of view, there was a lot of great music and a lot of albums that I didn't get to include. Um and also like i really decided that i needed to go with how i feel like this is a very feeling kind of episode because i couldn't get incredibly technical because some of these albums most of them have lived with me since 1989 and they are a part of my life so um it's uh it's going to be one of those touchy-feely kind of episodes folks <laughs>
1: so <laughs> so uh, um yeah take it away eddie Cool. Uh, just before I kind of start as well, I want to I wanna say that I usually in these episodes bring more of a track by track kind of thing. Here I'm going to kind of steer away from that solely based on the fact that I don't want to give everything away for a certain album in these episodes so that I've got more to elaborate on in a specific band's cranked and ranked episode. So I'm just going to go... Go the same route as Steve here and go for a more vibe oriented thing. But yeah. Don't worry, my track by tracks are gonna remain a mainstay in the band <laughs> once. Yeah. And, yeah. and I'm sure there's gonna be enough uh, diverging
0: uh, from the actual albums in this episode that, you know, you'll get your money's worth, folks, for or your or your, oh, or oh, your free sure. your free podcasts worth. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: All right, anyway. Enough of my enough of my enough of my rambling. No worries, man. Right. Cool. So my number five is Practice What You Preach by Testament. Yes. Practice What You Preach is such a good fucking late 80s thrash album. Absolutely. You know, the production on it is much tighter than the previous two, but in like the best of ways. You You can tell the band are progressing as musicians and this at least for me the first half of this record you know side a it really is an exercise in how to write metal that is heavy but also are complete earworms that they're really catchy songs at the same time totally you know because you know say for example you know we touched on slayer with the last few episodes slayer is slayer has memorable parts but they're not like a I, I would hazard a guess like there's parts that are catchy, but for the most part Slayer like play off of the whole kind of thing. Yeah, and, and we d- talked about y- how y- the mo- the
0: catchy parts for Slayer are usually the riffs and not not a, a vocal part.
1: Yeah, but this this here like one that always gets stuck in my head is "Time is coming," Yeah, but like it, I feel like. Testaments strike this middle ground between like the hookiness of Metallica with the more extreme end of the spectrum without veering into it so much that it just becomes like Slayer, for example. So I did I did remember a friend of mine um, said something along the lines of Testament is what Metallica would sound like if they were like more virtuosic on their instruments. Like I love Metallica. And if they I, stuck I, I do with understand... being
0: thrash, like that's the thing about Testament yeah. is they stuck with the thrash metal sound
1: for the majority of their albums. Yes, exactly. You know, the, let's have a look at the track. listing here. You know, you got per- practice what you preach title track, perilous nation, envy life. Yes. Um, There's a lot of even, great even, songs on this album. Even, I even like the ballad, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love yeah. that. Like, I love the, you know, tongue and cheek title of that song because like is isn't the story of that, you know, that they apparently the record label said that they had to have kind of a ballady track or something or am I just, you know, remembering a fake?
0: I've never story? heard that, but it could it could pretty well be true, but the fact that I I am guess I guess this was on a major, although still kind of under the Megaforce uh yeah. umbrella or whatever. But I don't know. I've never heard that, but it it would make sense. But yeah, I don't know. It's still a fucking great song. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't strike me as any different than like Fade to Black from Metallica. It's just one of those things where a band does a different vibe
1: in that particular song. And I think they did it really well. Definitely. And I think as well, it's important to, for me to note, at least my introduction to Testament was the legacy that first album to me was what testament sounded like and i thought oh this is really cool um proper like kind of muddy weirdly produced 80s mix but the guitars were there and it was like this kind of coordinated not messy but wall of sound and throughout the first three albums you can distinctly hear the production getting clearer because you know the legacy Brilliant album, don't get me wrong, but you know the difference it makes in just like two years and the the album that they did between it as well uh the new order is like a a mixture of both but this album it really has this tight almost i don't wanna say unjustice for all, but you can definitely hear a distinct um clickiness to the drums and a more pronounced. You know this. This is kind of like what Unjustice for All" could have been. Like you can actually hear the bass on this album. Yeah. But um, you know, maybe that's just me remembering it weird again. <laughs> but so, um, this is actually the first testament album that I heard. Um, really.
0: So, in, in fact, my introduction to them was the song "Greenhouse Effect" off of this album, which I I fucking love that song. But I believe I saw the music video for that. it, it, it may have been on Headbangers Ball. I don't really remember how I saw it, but it was around 89 or 90 when I saw that. And so this is my favorite Testament album. I did, I did a Testament album ranking video a few months back or something like that. And this was my number one, because I think when it comes to the music that they did, especially in the eighties and early nineties, I think this is the best. It's the most concise and well-written statement that they put out there.
1: Yeah I I would I would echo that statement this this is what is it about thrash metal bands and their third album that just you know yeah <laughs> really hits the mark well there's also you know? yeah
0: it's also just one of those things i feel like all these bands not only did they get better at doing what they were doing but um as the, the 80s moved on production got better you had producers who knew what they were doing um yeah it's sure for the in some cases maybe even in this album people nowadays could look back and say the production sounds very dated but um i don't i don't ever that doesn't ever do anything for me because that it's a character of the album that's been there since i first heard it and that's that's how i want it to sound so you know um but yeah i love this album
1: yeah, I would go as far as to say, you know, a lot of old thrash metal albums benefit from their production because it sounds, it sounds rawer, And I find with a lot of modern metal, um, I had this discussion with my friend actually recently, this the same one that said the thing about Metallica. <laughs> um, he, he mentioned how he listens to a lot of like modern metal. He didn't notice it until I brought it up. I said, like, you know so many bands but you only know select songs and he was like yeah i i've i've never really been like a sit down and listen to a whole album guy and i recommended he like start sitting down and and you know listening to certain records that i give him and he's begun to notice how um he and i both have been noticing how modern production is is very reliant on being right there in your face whereas A lot of these older albums kind of play around more with the space of the song. And, you know, obviously, modern metal nowadays is very low end heavy. So it's going to be very punchy and bouncy and in your face. But I think that a lot of bands could really benefit from taking note from some of these albums and what what gives them their unique characteristics because that's something as well that I've found with modern metal that tends to... It does kind of blend together for me. You know, that I can't tell you how many core bands that, you know, I can't tell apart. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I, th- I think that um, there's something a little bit more authentic about albums from this era for some reason. And, you know, that's not to discredit modern metal by any means, but there is a certain... Um, I kind of liken it to how practical effects used to be used in films. And now it's pretty much almost always CGI. Yeah. Cause, you know, cause back then you obviously had tape. You didn't have, um, you know, even digital audio workstations were in their kind of infancy. So you kind of had to nail down your parts, but also like know the sound you were going for. And that kind of helped these bands like never make the same album twice, in, yeah. in my opinion. And also, and that's, um, I,
0: I, yeah, I think that also there used to be like, for a lack of a better term, the voice of the producer or or yes. the engineer. Whereas now, like things are so samey that mm-hmm. everyone's kind of going for the same thing, or they're working with the same presets or whatever the fuck it is that makes all these albums just sound alike. And back in the day, I think it was, it was more of a norm to go to a producer and say, well, we like what you've done. We want you to put your spin on our music. And even the people today that are considered great producers, they still don't really have their own voice. It's still like, you're a hired gun, make the shit sound, you know, like, the normal modern stuff sounds. And that's, it's kind of a letdown, but I always just chalk that up to me being an old dude because it seems like a lot of younger people like the, the clicky kick drum sound and all of that shit. Um, and so, but yeah, you, you are right. Like I do think that even though you could say that some of it is considered overproduction with adding a lot of reverb and all this other shit, um, I do think that it's almost like the the band collaborating with that particular producer, and that's like you said, they never made the same album twice. Or if they did, they may have gone to a different producer, and the sound at least varied. And so it was more it was more enjoyable to hear the band do something that at least sounded a little different.
1: Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, um, have you got anything else to to say on that one? I don't. I've, I've pretty much. I don't. I uh, I love.
0: I love that album, and I'm glad we got to talk about it
1: because <laughs> it's, cool. it's, uh, not,
0: it's not in my top five, and it hurt me to not put it there.
1: Oof. Ouch.
0: <laughs> so, um, so my number five, this is going to be really brief because we have already talked about this album in a podcast, so um, I'm going to use this not only as a time to talk about how much I love this album, but also as a commercial for everyone to go and listen to our podcast episode that we did <laughs> on this band. Um, my number five is Bleach from Nirvana. And, um, our very first episode was ranking the Nirvana discography. So if you want to hear us go really in depth into Bleach, go listen to that. But what I'm going to say about this one is that, um, it had to go in my list because Nirvana is not only one of my favorite bands, but they are one of the most important bands in my life. And, um, When this album came out in 1989, I had no fucking idea who Nirvana was. I didn't even hear this album until like two years later. So um, I didn't know they existed. In 1991, like many other people of my age, I got really excited about Nevermind when it came out. And so, of course, I went back to listen to Bleach. And I didn't like it at first. It was not a good first impression. But... Later on down the line, it grew on me and it started to become a thing where once I was realistic about how influential Nirvana was on me in the music I listened to and the music I was making when I started to play guitar and started to join bands and started to write songs, it became a way more important album for me because it was almost like an example of a starting point if I wanted to start a band, like I could go back to listen to bleach and be like, this amazing band started here with this more raw, uh, sort of pure, honest first step in the Nirvana, very, unfortunately, very short story. And so, um, it's just one of those albums that I listen to it and it just sort of gives me that feeling of, Oh, this is like, this is what it it feels like to start a band when you're you're just getting things going you're figuring out your sound maybe you don't have a shitload of money to get a badass production especially in the 80s and it just sounds like that 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 raw urgency of a young uh garage band or whatever yeah. and so this is an album that just you know it had to be in my top 5 it's not my favorite nirvana album Um, if you want to hear what my favorite Nirvana album is, go listen to that episode after this one, finish this one first. (laughs) But, um,
1: (laughs) so yeah, I'm going to be real quick with that one. So my number five is Bleach. Cool. Yeah. And, uh, I just want to say, uh, that's definitely, if you're a metalhead trying to get into Nirvana, that's where you start in, in my opinion,
0: which is weird because I was a metalhead and I didn't like Bleach as much as Nevermind. I still don't, but you know, it's, that's, it's an interesting way to put it though.
1: Yeah. I, su- I suppose it would be, it really would depend on the listener. Um, cause you know, nevermind is, is the, is the classic, but bleach is definitely the next step if you're into the harder shit. Yeah, totally. Cool. So let's move on to that, your number four. That leads me to number four for number four. I have gone for now th- this is this is why I couldn't order any of them because they are all so independent landmark albums in their own kind of style. Okay. Uh, with with maybe a couple deep cuts thrown in there, but this one um I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Pretty Hate Machine by 9-inch Nails. Nice. That oh man, that's good. Such such a good album, you know, yeah. a real la- landmark industrial masterpiece you know, i you love got- how
0: this is going by the way i'm just going to go ahead and say that i love how this <laughs> is going
1: uh dude you're in for a treat I'll- I'll <laughs> got some absolute corkers in here dude so yeah obviously with pretty hate machine It was nine inch nails debut album um you know you got songs like head like a hole head like a hole the synth bass riff in that was solely responsible for me getting into industrial like that there, which is funny because the, f- the actual song that got me into metal in the first place was Ramstein's do hast. But <laughs> yeah. I never, I never did like a proper, I never did like a proper industrial deep dive until I discovered nine inch nails. At which point I discovered, holy shit, you know, Dark-sounding guitar music can be made with, you know, drum machines and synthesizers to get this real kind of... I'm hesitant to call it robotic. I don't think anyone would like to have their music called robotic, but it's almost like... Well, it's like there is a machine in the title, so it gives off the industrial vibe. And I just love... that. This whole album is like some kind of, you know dark vibe to it throughout and it's not necessarily the most in your face you know you've got the odd song but songs like head like a hole great song terrible lie another great one down in it you know it's banger central on this album and then you've got like songs like sanctified and something i can never have and you know i can't think of a, a single song on here that doesn't get me going, you know? Yeah. Perhaps, and it's, perhaps... and it's really
0: is like you said about the Testament album. I feel like this album's very catchy. And I think that's the thing that yes. one of the many aspects of it that makes it great, because like you said, it is industrial, but it also not just this album. I think everything that, that Trent Reznor has done, even when he's being super electronic with shit, it still has some sort of an organic quality to it that he's able to put into it. Definitely, um, But this album is one of those things where I just feel like the catchiness of it all, uh, it, it trans transcends that, that, uh, the, the label, you know?
1: Yeah. And I haven't even got to, you know, like side B yet. You know, <laughs> you, you've got, you know, the one, two punch of kind of, I want to and sin great songs. Um, I'd say the only like kind of dip for me is maybe tracks, uh, eight and nine, but even those are, catchy and, and good songs. I particularly like, and I feel like it's underrated, I like the song ring finger that closes out the record. Yeah. And I noticed when you know I used to get off of the bus from school and I'd have a little bit of a walk home. It was, you know, it was quite far down the street. And I realized that ring finger was like the perfect <laughs> perfect walking pace you know I, I was just walking one day and i didn't even realize i was doing it until i realized holy shit i don't know what bpm it is but whatever it is it is legit mark for mark my walking speed <laughs> <laughs> and i have never had that with like any other song but um also the beginning of that song always makes me think of new order like it always yes. sounds like a new order song's about to yeah start. It sounds like blue monday at the start doesn't it yeah Uh, that's a tune in itself, to be honest. I I do like that song.
0: One of my favorite things that that Trent Reznor does, and it's not just Trent Reznor, it's any kind of music that that incorporates this, which is a lot of like post-hardcore kind of stuff, and and I guess post-punk as well. But um, he puts in odd notes that on paper don't fit but sound fucking badass in this song. Like, like when you're talking about Terrible Lie, the end of it where it has like... It, I'm, yeah. Every time that kicks in, I'm like, that's so good. But if you listen to it, it doesn't really go with it, but it goes perfectly with it. So that, that is genius songwriting right there.
1: There's something to, there. There really is something to be said for the importance of dissonance in music. Agreed, because, yes. Because you know, so many people tend to think dissonance... That sounds icky. I don't want dissonance in my music because that won't make people want to listen to it. And that's well,
0: fine. They can go listen to Journey and fuck off for all I
1: care. <laughs> <laughs> and it, and it's so funny when you when you think cuz you know dissonance can be used in quite a beautiful way. You know, yeah. there's there's a there's a song later in this list. There's a title track in this list that okay. I will get to later on. But yeah. It it's a good one. It is a big boy. Nice. But yeah, I this album sold me on industrial metal and industrial music in general, you know. This this album has a vibe all its own. Yeah. Funny For enough, sure.
0: funny enough um when it first came out, I didn't get into it, but I didn't get into it because my older brother had a friend who was really into this album and was trying to get me to listen to it. Yeah. (laughs) And he, his, for some reason he decided he was going to talk shit about another album that was out around the same time that is on my list. And because he was saying that this album sucked, I'm like, well, fuck your nine inch nails. Bullshit. (laughs) Very yeah. quickly though with it Like my Nine Inch Nails story starts with Broken So once I heard Wish off of Broken I was in full on and have been a Nine Inch Nails fan ever since But um, but yeah, yeah th- there's no denying that Pretty Hate Machine is a classic This is great because this is kind of becoming um, You're helping me build a top 10 <laughs> When I only yeah. did a top 5 <laughs> So
1: I'm loving this so far I've kind of become this like curator of sorts. <laughs> yeah, it, I I am. I can pride myself in the variety in my list. I feel like I've, I feel like I've hit hit a good five. Totally. So are you? Are you done with a uh, pretty hate machine? I'm
0: all wrapped up on number four. You go for it, dude. Okay, my number four. Uh, we're 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 gonna shift again here. Uh, Ooh. my number four is the album Full Moon Fever by Tom Petty. Wow. Um, which is a... Uh, uh, Running almost, down a dream. Fuck yeah. Hell uh, yeah. Tom Petty <laughs> is one of my favorite musicians and songwriters of all time. And Full Moon Fever was my first Tom Petty album. Like, I knew Tom Petty's songs prior to this album coming out. But I, I bought this album in 89 and wore it the fuck out. Because it's almost... <laughs> nowadays, you listen to this album and it's almost like a greatest hits album. I mean... Free Fallen, I Won't Back Down, Love is a Long Road, A Face in the Crowd, Running Down a Dream, Feel a Whole Lot Better, You're So Bad. It's All of these songs were singles. Insane trackless. In, in, in some way or another. And um, sure, side two or, or the, the the latter half of the album, it, it gets a little bit weaker, but um, it is just hit after hit. And I Won't Back Down is one of my favorite songs ever. Um, something about it. It's just the whole vibe of it. The words. It's just fucking great. Um, and uh, over the years, Tom Petty has become a hero of mine. Mostly just not you know, obviously because of the his his he was such a prolific and, and amazing songwriter and performer. Um, but also as a human being, when it comes to his decisions that he made artistically and in his life, he he was a very uncompromising person. Um, and if you haven't ever watched it, I would recommend finding the Tom Petty documentary that's out there somewhere. It's called running down a dream. It's like three, I think it's four hours long, but you would not even know it's, it is the kind of (laughs) in-depth documentary that we would want done with our favorite bands. Yeah. It's, it's like that. Um, and it's just, it really just drives home the point that he really is I don't know. He's one of those songwriters and musicians that I think um, his mark on the world of music is not going to fade anytime soon. He's going to be somebody that people are still talking about 50 years um, down the line. And um, it's just timeless music to me. So, uh, um, and it's, like I said, it's one of these albums that has lived with me since 1989 and I've never gotten tired of it. So um, that's why it's here at number
1: quattro. (laughs) <laughs> awesome, I'm. I'm gonna chime in here and say that I was introduced. Now, you're like this. Uh, another reason San Andreas is such a great Grand Theft Auto game is uh-huh. because Running Down a Dream is on the soundtrack.
0: Ah, oh, shit! Yeah,
1: <laughs> the classic rock station in that game is is a greatest hits album. Like, check out the um, K D S T Running Order for the uh, for the classic rock radio in GTA San Andreas. So, so good. I I just, nice. I always have to, there's a part
0: of me that, that, there's a part of me that get, that hurts. It hurts my heart a little bit when Tom Petty gets lumped in with classic rock. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Cause I'm all like, nah, I don't know. Like, cause I I don't really (laughs) don't feel like anything Tom Petty did sounds dated. Sure. The production quality, you know, has improved over the years and, um, things like that but I really think as songs like I, I mean I'll, I'll just say it a million times it's just timeless pretty much everything he did
1: yeah I I generally speaking I only really consider things classic rock to fit like a certain mood or a certain vibe I'm in yeah but the um I would generally consider things the things I consider classic rock personally is anything predating the glam and thrash
0: (laughs) yeah totally although that's the weird thing though and it's funny because you're 20 years younger than me and you're into the same music that i'm into but you think about in the 1980s there was a uh a a fad that started to happen and that was called oldies and oldies oldies was music from the 50s and 60s which was 20 years before so yeah. right now we are talking about oldies more <laughs> more than oldies. Yeah. So so it's so funny to think about how time how I guess there was a big shift from 50, 1950s to 1980s but it but once you get to the 90s it doesn't feel like there's been that big of a shift to now cuz you listen to in my opinion you listen to shit like I don't know uh Pearl Jam and it doesn't sound like an oldie. It just sounds like a song, you know, from a different time, maybe a few years back. But it doesn't have that same thing where, in the nineteen eighties, we were all listening to uh, new wave music or metal music, and then you would turn on the oldies and you would hear like "The Lion Sleeps Tonight." You know, yeah. it's like it—it <laughs> it, it was like, when the fuck did this come out? So it's—it's it's so weird to think that we're here talking about music that would be on the oldies channel. <laughs>
1: There was one for, for rock music. It really does. You know, it really does strike me, you know, that the passage of time is such a weird one because I, you know, I recently ran it over in my head and I started thinking shit stuff from the nineties is turning 30. And you know, that's the decade I was born in and you know, I was born in obviously like the, the later end of it. So, you know, you're talking 98, but you know, to, to think, that's only eight more years. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I- and I'll and just it, say, just
0: think of it as that you were lucky enough to get in there at the end of the 90s.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's it's weird as well being like the kind of the last generation of the millennium, of the, of that millennium, is that we were the generation, my generation specifically, that had a VHS-DVD combo. Like, yeah. We, we had obviously VCRs and we, we had DVDs, but I think there was, a, there was a brief time in like the late 90s to about the mid-2000s where people realized, ah, we got both for a moment, so we're going to have a VHS-DVD combo. And I remember someone described that to me one time, and I said, "Wow, that makes a shit ton of sense." Not you know? only
0: that, they started selling TVs that had the CD, the DVD player, and VCR built into it. Yeah. Which, like, <laughs> if I was a when I was a kid, if you had told me that would be a thing, I'd be like, "Why can't we have that right now?" <laughs> like, yeah. it's
1: like, Why do we got to have all these wires and shit everywhere? Yeah. Uh, I I I get real nostalgic for shit like that, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I'm I'm
0: done with my number four, so let's move on to your number three. I'm excited about this.
1: Okay, so for my number three, I've gone a little bit more obscure, um, but it's a great record nonetheless, and I have gone with the self-titled debut album from the glam band that came along way too fucking late called Danger Danger. Wait, what? Danger Danger.
0: (laughs) Okay,
1: Hello. So, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that, that I, I, did not, I did
1: not expect this, but I'm this is great. This here is one of my favorite glam metal albums. It's quite soft comparatively, but you cannot fault the catchiness of any of these songs. So, I, ever- so before
0: before you get into it, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you like my my memory of this band was seeing <laughs> was seeing a commercial for the album on uh, on MTV and i just remember it being so funny because the commercial said the debut album from danger danger featuring naughty naughty and bang bang
1: yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> see i these I, dudes I, love repeating words twice <laughs> honestly uh, it took me a moment to really like hone in on that but i eventually <laughs> did you know and I and I'm ashamed of myself that it took me about like you know 30 listens of this album to realize holy shit, these guys found a formula and fucking ran with it. <laughs> the, the two biggest singles from the album are Naughty Naughty and Bang Bang. The, the, <laughs> the band's called Danger Danger. You know? But you know, I, I gotta say, Naughty Naughty, Under the Gun, Saturday Night, you know, they've they've got ballads on here, Don't Walk Away. Uh, One Step from Paradise, you know, this is, it's like if Poison stripped back a little bit of the glam and traded it for keyboards, and that's pretty much this album, but I, I just find myself so drawn to it because so many of the songs just get stuck right in your head, you know, bang, bang. Is you know, for want of a better phrase, an absolute banger. <laughs> um, rock America, you know. It feels like love. Live it up. I just love this album. I. I, I have was to running... admit,
0: I have to admit, I've never listened to this album all the way through. Um,
1: Dude, so maybe I need to now. Hell yeah! You you just need to you need to find yourself a nice, a nice evening with a sunset where you can see the skyline and the sky's kind of pink and you've got that kind of 80s vibe going on, this album, you know, I I know a lot of, you know, purists are going to turn around and say, (laughs) fucking poser, he likes likes fucking keyboards, fuck this guy, but, you know, I, I, I wouldn't call this a guilty pleasure, because I'm proud of of loving this, but I would understand why other people would call it a guilty pleasure. I feel
0: like people like you and me don't have guilty pleasures. We just have pleasures. Hell yeah.
1: <laughs> you know, I'm glam and I'm proud, <laughs> but, um, yeah, as, as far as it goes, this is a glam album done right. And it's, it, it's kind of that final unfortunate wave of bands that could have been so much bigger because, Had this album been released in, say, you know, 84, 85, there is no reason that they couldn't have been in the leagues of, say, you know, Poison, Motley Crue, Def Leppard, because so many of these songs are just so goddamn catchy.
0: And that's the thing that that I think it's interesting to point out about 1989, is that you could make the argument that, you know, glam and, and thrash were already on their way out in certain ways. Yet you had brand new bands who are now considered classic bands release their debut albums from both camps. There's all sorts of debut thrash albums and all sorts of debut like hard rock and and i guess hair metal i think the hair metal thing had kind of gone away it was more of just an 80s hard rock and sure they maybe still did their hair but they were now all wearing leather jackets and denim or something like that you know
1: i think one of the most um hilarious examples of um this era is a band like trickster for example where they're all wearing flannel shirts but they're playing this kind of style music yeah. Um I think Did you Did you watch my
0: old Headbangers Ball episode where I, I talked about that video?
1: <laughs> I I fucking love that series dude. Keep it up. But the um new one coming soon? <laughs> hell yeah. The oh, which I discovered that um Leatherface tune through your show and Love so, it. For, for those of you who song. don't, for
0: those of you who don't know, go subscribe to the Old Head uh, YouTube channel, and I do a series of videos on Saturdays called Old Head Bangers Ball, where I play old music videos from that classic era of Head Bangers Ball, and I uh, either talk them up, or um, in the case of the one that uh, is going to be coming out, I talk a little shit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I've got a little um, video idea planned as well. Cool your uh the leather, leather face thing made me notice something nice. and i'm gonna do i'm gonna do a video uh, based around videos recorded in the desert in 1990 and 1991 and the significance of that okay are you gonna consider well well can we
0: move it to 92 well i don't know if the video was 92 but you're gonna include november rain in that
1: <laughs> that's another good one I I need to include that. You got that, that
0: big, the big uh, slash guitar solo in the middle of the desert with the church.
1: Oh, that's for the sure. Classic imagery right there. Hell yeah, man! Like I'm, I've got a pretty good conspiracy theory going on with this, and I'll get to that in the video. But cool. For now, I, I can't wait. Go subscribe to Eddie Sparks on YouTube. Hell yeah! The um, oh, I'm just I'm just super fucking amped because I know I think I'm onto something.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, we're talking about danger, danger. Featuring oh. Naughty Naughty and Bang Bang.
1: Okay, okay, okay. I'll I'll reel it in, reel it in. But yeah, I'm but gonna yeah. go.
0: I'm gonna go listen to this album um, pretty soon because I feel
1: like maybe it's it's about time. Again, it's quite, it's quite you know sweet and saccharine a little bit in places. It's it's a polished album. Yeah. But in the right way, in the right context, so I feel like that. Again, that's where the production benefits the music.
0: Yeah, I always kind of lump them all in with like Firehouse and yeah. uh, those bands where it's like it's 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 rock and roll, but it's very keyboard heavy. You
1: are correct. It, okay, that is cool.
0: that is dead on the money. <laughs>
1: <laughs> cool. You, you, still,
0: you still got things to say about that one?
1: I'm I'm pretty much I'm pretty much out of material with Danger Danger you want to take take it to your number 3?
0: Yes. Um and so the one thing that I kept thinking when I was putting together my my top 5 was that um uh I'm going to have to admit that I'm you know I'm not cool. <laughs> I'm I'm going to lose I'm going to lose many cool points. Oh shit. Um, that... <laughs> for, for for things I include and things that I leave out. But luckily you beat me to it by being kind of uncool before <laughs> before me. <laughs> So, um, my, uh, my number three album from 1989 is Pump from Aerosmith. Hey. And, um, <laughs> I mean, this is a motherfucker of an album and it's, cr- it's really cool because it was almost like Aerosmith already made a comeback with Permanent Vacation and then they put out a fucking better album with Pump yeah. and, and blew up even bigger. And the the album is fucking huge. The production is huge. The songs are huge, um, and it's it's just one of those things where there's so many great songs. And I know around this time, especially starting with Permanent Vacation, they had songwriting collaborators, but not on everything. And one of the things that I think is the most impressive, even though like it, it was overplayed, and I think it's it's easy to just gloss over it, but. The song Janie's got a gun is an incredibly well-written song. Yeah. In in the structure of the song and everything about it and that was an Aerosmith relig- uh, original. They didn't they didn't have any other songwriter on board with that. So you can see that these dudes most of the time didn't really need the help. So um but there's I mean you got the the, the beginning of the album with Young Lust and FINE or, there are just two fucking really fun songs. Then you go straight into Love in an Elevator. Uh, Monkey on My Back's a great song. Janie's Got a Gun, obviously. The Other Side. And then you skip a little bit later. The end of the album has What It Takes. Once again, all these fucking hits on this album. that are all great songs. And maybe you could say this album hasn't aged as well as other ones have. But when it comes to Aerosmith, because those guys were so consistent in the kind of things they wanted to do it just sounds like an Aerosmith album. It's, it's like, I don't care what year it's from. It's, it's a, yeah. I, I have a great time listening to Aerosmith always. And I would have to say that if somebody out there doesn't have a good time listening to Aerosmith, I don't want to fucking hang out with them anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, but um, another, another important thing for me anyway, is the fact that you listen to Steven Tyler's vocals. He's an amazing vocalist. And on this album, there's so many moments where I'm like, if you watch like footage, there's footage you can watch online of them recording the album and him doing the vocals and the, the, the control and range that dude had on his voice. And at the time he was my age right now, he was 41, 42 years old, belting out this incredible shit. And he still does it today. Like People try to talk shit about him, but I'm like, dude, I've seen the fucking concerts. The dude still fucking sings that well at 70-whatever-he-is-now. Um, yeah. One of my favorite singers. But um, not just that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw down the gauntlet, as they say, or, or draw a line in the sand, and you can join me on this side of the line or stay <laughs> over there. But I am um, going to say it, Aerosmith is the greatest American rock and roll band. There is not a better American rock and roll. You could make an argument for metal bands. Fine. I'm talking rock and roll. There is no better band than Aerosmith. And Pump is a fucking fantastic album. One that I got in 1989 and I still love it to pieces today. Uh, so there you go. You, you could consider that an uncool addition to my, uh, my top five. Um, but, uh, I love it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Nah, it's awesome, man. You know, I, I remember I, I kind of always knew the hits with Aerosmith growing up and, you know, I I was a big fan of, of them through, um, Wayne's world too, growing up. And, uh, that's the thing, like, so many of their songs are in like um, movies as well, but they, you're right about them being like the greatest rock and roll band. Because I was, I, I said, I, I said tr- American, because
0: I'm not gonna, yeah. I'm not, I'm not gonna gonna shit on on anywhere in Europe, especially the UK. Because yeah, <laughs> I mean, without the UK, there would be no
1: Aerosmith. So, I mean. Yeah, I mean, if, if if you trace it back, though, you know, we obviously we had the British Invasion, but the, the Rolling were, the Rolling we, Stones we,
0: are important. Like, the Aerosmith wouldn't exist without the Rolling Stones. Now, when people try to talk shit and say there are Stones ripoff, I think I think that they're people that don't
1: know anything about music. Yeah, <laughs> but
0: uh, but yeah, but
1: I was I was actually I was actually kind of backing you up there because I'm going to say we had the British Invasion, but obviously, rock and roll originated in america you know with the with the 50s
0: yeah thing. but i don't w- this is a slippery slope for me because is. you're you're <laughs> going to be you're going to be referring to artists that for the most part were stealing music from other people <laughs> yeah. yeah when you get it, to so, when
1: you get to the 60s and 50s and now if you want to talk ab- yeah a- if you
0: want to talk about chuck berry and, and little richard and people <laughs> like that then i'm on board but if you say yeah. if you say Elvis, I'm gonna tell you to get the fuck out because it's just like. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, Elvis influenced bands like the Beatles, who took that and did. Sure, in the beginning, Beatles did a lot of fucking cover songs, but they started to do their own original take on things and not just outright stealing things. And so, oh, for um, sure. so I think the important rock and roll started yeah. in in England. And to to be fair, like I always say that the best music all started with one particular song. Like I love the Beatles, the Beatles are great. I we could talk about the Beatles all day and I would um I would be able I would probably be able to do a full podcast just talking about them. But to me great music started when the Kinks put out You Really Got Me. Like once yeah. that fucking song comes out <laughs> the game has changed and great music just starts to blossom from that point. But that's just my
1: opinion. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm with you, dude. I've, have you seen the, um, metal evolution documentary series? I, I own those on DVD. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Isn't the, um, what song is it? Is it rocket 88? That's like the first recorded use of a distorted guitar. I believe it
0: is the one where, uh, what's his name? Uh, Ike Turner plays on it, and his 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 amp was broken or something. Yeah, Yeah, I mean that's that's (laughs) amazing. The beginning of distortion. That shit is fascinating to me. But yeah, we're that's a big digression
1: going on here. (laughs) Let's 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 skip forward to your number two. No worries. So my number two. This is another bit of a deep cut gem, but from the other side of the uh, genre pool. I'm gonna go ahead and say, louder than love. By Sam Oh Burns. yes. Such it's it's in my opinion, this is one of the most underrated albums of all time. Yeah. People people are so quick to dismiss this album as well, they were still, you know, figuring out who they were. They weren't quite, you know, the really mature songwriters they were on, you know, Super Unknown. And it's like, dude, put this album on. It's a fucking ripper. It's it's got so many great Zeppelin Sabbath esque riffs on it, you know. But they sound totally original at the same time, and they yeah, they've this, you know. It's like it does have that vibe, but through a completely different lens. So obviously you've got, I mean, Soundgarden were one of the earliest grunge bands, but they also. I think the thing with grunge to remember is it was a scene. It wasn't necessarily a distinct one sound because obviously it, grunge is dirtier, more stripped back, no theatrics, just raw live energy, that kind of thing. And they all had a common thread kind of image-wise. But when it comes to the big four of grunge, you cannot turn around and say that Alice in Chains... Pearl Jam, Nirvana, and Soundgarden sound completely alike because they all bring something completely unique to the table.
0: I know I agree with you totally. Um, yeah, yeah. There, there's I and I agree with that as the big four of grunge because it's. Uh, I mean, it's undisputed. I, I would think, but yeah, they all had their own thing going, and Soundgarden to me was the most. I don't mature sounding. I guess um, right off the bat, like they they seemed i don't know what it is about them they had a uniqueness to them that really set them apart early it's, on
1: it's almost like a sophistication but i can't quite tell what it is i think it could just be down to the fact that they play around with a lot of odd time signatures and things like that and you know yeah. for something for something so stripped back it's actually quite proggy you know yeah totally it, and you know, it's, it, with this album. Obviously, I'm I'm gonna get up the track listing again because I <laughs> I was a I was a dunce and I didn't I didn't switch to it in time. Where is louder than love? There it is, coming right off the bat. You got you know ugly truth, hands all over. And I've got a funny little story about hands all over. I'll get to that in a minute. Okay. Um, gun, fucking like gun is full on doom metal.
0: Yeah, and this like, speeds up. Of, of, of down, 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 down,
1: down, down, down. Oh, power trip. Get on, get on the snake. Like is is pretty tongue in cheek, but like it has that. If you listen to a lot
0: of these songs, it's interesting that this was on a major label because yes. the songwriting does not sound like a band that's trying to trying to break big and cross over to the mainstream they sound like they got signed and went let's just make kind of the weirdest thing that we can make while still being sort of melodic at the same time
1: (laughs) oh for sure and you know i i'm gonna back that up with a song like i awake i awake is one of my favorite Soundgarden songs and i remember looking up like a list of like it was something along the lines of like every Soundgarden song ranked and ooh, voice crack there sorry <laughs> every Soundgarden song ranked. And this song was like, if it wasn't at the bottom, it was like second to the bottom. And I was like, what? Yeah, the, that's the, ridiculous. I don't ever, is... by
0: the way, I don't ever want to rank songs. Oh for sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe but, um, if, maybe if we're being really limited, but an entire band's discography <laughs> li- ranking the songs, whoever yeah. does those, they're 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 glossing over a lot of things, I feel most of the time.
1: I think as well there's there's something to be said for if if you have the capacity to rank an entire fucking band's songs. You know, albums are one thing, but songs, see a fucking therapist. Like yeah. <laughs> Jesus Christ. But, you know, Loud Love, the kind of title track, you know, oh, there's so many great riffs on here. I think a hey, uh, import-
0: uh, fun, fun fact about Loud Love that's connected to what we're already talking about. If you watch the music video for Loud Love, it has, is it Jason Everman? Is that his name? Um, Who was in Nirvana is the guitar player. Like he, he didn't play on Louder Than Love, but he joined the band as the as the the bass player i believe no way um, is uh yeah um i never but noticed the, that yeah so he the, the the fourth member of nirvana on bleach joined soundgarden um just in time to do the loud love music video so you'll see jason everman i think that's his name
1: um playing bass guitar in that music video that's so cool i love the family tree of all the grunge bands as well you know yeah, hell yeah every single person was in every single band (laughs) totally you know there's there's loads of them and then even a song like big dumb sex which is you know (laughs) big dumb sex is the best satire i i think there is in grunge because it's a clear dig at bands like motley Crue and poison and that and you know that um that lyric of yeah, I know what to do. I'm going to fuck, fuck, <laughs> fuck, fuck you. <laughs> de- 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 oh, I just love that. And
0: you I know. always love at the very end when they slow it down and the song ends
1: and you hear them go, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this, this for sure is like, it's even produced in Almost an eighties metal way, but just grungy enough to not fall victim to the va- that kind of vibe that would probably fuck with it. Yeah. But like, I th- I think was it Terry Date that produced this? I believe so. That's the name
0: that's in my head right
1: now. I think it was yeah. Terry Date.
0: A yeah, because Terra Fame.
1: <laughs> yeah, because Terry Date's you know a very metal centric producer, and um, you know obviously I th- I if I had to say. For my favorite Soundgarden album, it would probably between be between "Loud," "Louder Than Love," or "Bad Motorfinger." Agreed, but, I'm with you. But um, that's that's a that's a thing for a different uh, for a different it's for episode. our Soundgarden but, ranking episode, which yeah, is going to happen for sure, for sure. But it's it's just such a I feel sorry for this record because people fucking don't talk about it enough. For sure, this is this is definitely the most underrated Soundgarden album with Ultra Mega OK close behind it. Totally. And um, yeah, that is, that is my um, take on my number two, nice. Louder Than Love. And
0: it's, it's great because you're mentioning albums that, that I had to leave out and it hurt me to leave them out. Um, so my number two is probably the most out of left field, because if you look at what I've done so far, they, they are bigger albums from that particular year. Um, but my number two is an album that, um, is a very small release and a lot of people don't even fucking talk about this band at all. And I think that they should, and they are from your neck. They're from your neck of the woods. Um, my number two album is the album, the fear from the thrash metal band acid rain. And, um, it is, it, it's just a fucking remarkable album to me. And, 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 um, on top of it, I think that it's a ridiculously underrated album and band. And really like I was going through and there's all these great thrash metal albums that, that I didn't include. And I was, listening to them and sort of picking out the things that made them unique to me and what I loved about them. And a lot of those other thrash metal albums, and I'm even going to throw practice what you preach in that, in that group, they all kind of have the same kind of thing going for them. Whereas yeah. acid rain did not. These guys, um, this was their debut album. They, they, they did like a mini album prior to this called to this called Moschkenstein. But the, the yeah. fear the fear is it's like it's as ambitious as it is effortless. It almost seems like they 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 don't quite give too much of a fuck, but they still want to write these big epic songs. And so there's like a a rawness and a sort of almost not quite reined in kind of quality to the album. Um and it, yeah, there, it's not perfect performances on this album, but it is exhilarating thrash metal, and it feels like it might fall to pieces at any moment, but it doesn't. Um, it's super fun. There's all these twists and turns. Um, it's it's a it's an album that is. Well, not, it's not just this album. Everything Acid Rain has done, it, it, they know how to be serious and mature about certain parts of their songs, and at other times be a little bit wacky and out of left field with other parts of their songs. And yeah. they, they did it so fucking right. And um unfortunately, they got lumped in, I think, um, as a joke band back in the day, yeah. which was kind of shitty because if you really dig into this band, you realize that they were just a thrash metal band that had a sense of humor, which is like what you would, I guess you could say about Anthrax. But I mean, people like to talk shit about Anthrax because apparently you're not supposed to have fun when you play thrash metal. But <laughs> you know, whatever. <laughs> but there's, there's this is like one of those albums where, unlike the the two previous albums I talked about, there's there's no hits off this. I mean, they had uh, Humanoia, which became a single a little bit later, but this wasn't a hit album. Um, but it's got all of the things that I love about thrash metal in it. It's fast. It's aggressive it sound they had their own unique thing going in my opinion and it's it's unfortunate that the uk thrash scene from that time didn't get promoted over here in america so yeah. in america on MTV you would see the american thrash bands and you would see some of the german thrash bands and then you would see sepultura the yeah. only time we <laughs> ever saw a uk thrash metal video that I remember was the video for Onslaught doing their cover of Let There Be Rock by ACDC. That is as far as it went. So, because I do think these bands stand out, and Acid Rain's one of those bands that if you are a subscriber to my channel, you know that I I fly the flag for this band big time. They are they're, they're together now and just put out a fucking amazing album, and um, I'll be singing their praises forever. But I really do think that in 1989 when there was a jillion thrash metal albums coming out, I really do think that the fear stands out from all of those and it just never gets old to me. Um, I fucking love it. So I had to include it at at number two, um, a kind of a, kind of a left turn or whatever from what I was talking about, but I do, I do love this album.
1: Yeah. I, I totally need to check out acid rain and, um, I'm glad that you've recommended that album to me because that's that's kind of this kind of era is the thing I would reach for. Yeah. So
0: my favorite and, Acid Rain album if you want to start is called obnoxious and that's the one that came out in 1991, I believe. Oh no, it was 1990. Yeah. Um but this one's great too, the new one. Uh, it's called The Age of Entitlement. Like that it's that is great. If you want to hear an old school style thrash done with modern elements and it works to me, then that's, that's the best place to go. But we're talking about the fear
1: and, uh, and I love it.
0: <laughs> awesome.
1: Just going back to what you said as well about, you know, bands having a sense of humor. I think that is such a key component that so many bands, um, shy away from because they're, they're too scared to, you know, not be taken seriously. Yeah. But, um, you know, for me personally, in my own personal experience, I'm more drawn to the bands where I know that its members have a personality and things like that. And it's I very res-
0: important when you want to hang out with a band as well as listen to their music.
1: Yeah. Like, say, for example, like, countless scenes from, like, Year and a Half in the Life of Metallica, for example. You know, there's so much... I, there was a... I'll have to find the video, and I'll have to credit this guy. Um he's like a drum teacher reacts kind of channel. And, um, he, he said something along the lines of there's room for comedy in the devil's music. (laughs) Like just, (laughs) just as like kind of a, kind of a laugh in response to, I think it was the bit where, um, I think it's like a drum cam of Dave Lombardo playing, um, angel of death. Live and you know where everything drops out and it's just the double kick. Yeah. He just he holds on to it for like a ridiculous amount of time. Looks at his watch, keeps (laughs) going, and then does the fill and goes back into the song. That's awesome. But um, yeah, he the quote from that was "there's room for comedy in the devil's music" and I fucking live by that rule.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's like I I I don't I've never understood people giving well it's not I don't think it's just the sense of humor I think a lot of those bands that were that had no problem with having some personality you know yeah. with their music those were also the ones that I think had no problem dabbling in other areas of rock music you know because you had you know obviously anthrax and they dabbled in the hip-hop world um, yeah. and another band that we're going to get to for my number one also was a band that dabbled and they all seemed like they were pretty lighthearted folk for the most part um but yeah so but before we get to that we got to go with your with your number one are we gonna have the same number one now we we might we could possibly have the same number one and that would make this the most perfect episode ever
1: (laughs) i think you know the, the only this is the only spot where there where there is an order to it because this is my favorite album from that year yeah um I've gone for the real thing by Faith No More.
0: Yes, Fuck sir. Yes, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that
1: is that is my number one as well. Let's oh, just dig into this motherfucker. <laughs> hell yeah! Awesome. That that wraps this one up perfectly. So, you know, no question, no one else sounds like Faith No More. Yeah, they don't. You know, there are there are there are countless alt metal bands that you know have influence. Don't get me wrong, you know, Faith in the Moor's influence is far-reaching, but nobody, and I mean no one, has captured the sound that these five guys make. And even though it's changed over the years, obviously you had Chuck Mosley for the first two albums, and then you had Jim Martin for the first four uh, as the guitarist, and then gradually you had Trey Spruance as the guitarist on King for a Day, and then... John Hudson on guitar for for these last two albums and he's been the longest running um, guitarist they've had yet but on to onto the real thing now all of the music for the real thing was written before Mike Patton joined the band so um, Mike Patton dropped out of college to join faith no more you know he was already in mr. Bungle, but he wanted to you know obviously branch out and do shitloads of different projects which you know he managed to do throughout his career but that's a that's a different story altogether the amount yeah. of projects he's done but from out of nowhere b- perfect album opener in my opinion such an energetic burst epic is might be overplayed but is a classic falling to pieces massively underrated tune in my opinion and has the best music video of all time. I will stand by that. Yeah, it's pretty great. Then, Surprise You're Dead, you know, you've heard these three very, you know, um, radio friendly tracks for the first three while still having like kind of a weird atmosphere. And then all of a sudden, you get to these really heavy tracks like Surprise You're Dead, Zombie Ears, and The Real Thing. They all have really crushing moments of heaviness. Yeah. And um, what was it I said earlier about. Um, title track being something uh Oh using shit. dissonance or uh Music. or uh yeah. That's the thing. Uh the guitar part in the real thing um where it goes dun 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 da dun da, 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 oh, da, yeah. Da, da, yeah the pinnacle of happiness <laughs> filling <laughs> up your soul. <laughs> I think that's that's like the only gripe like on this album but even at this point I've listened to it so much and the vocal style he uses on this evokes such a nostalgia on me that yeah. my girlfriend tried to ruin this album for me by pointing out his vocals and she fucking failed because this album holds up it's great yeah. and I don't th- I don't think I've ever heard a, you know another band pull off having a song that sounds like Slayer and then having a lounge song on it as well. You know, yeah. Edge of the World, obviously Edge Which, of the World is, isn't on all of the pressings. No, know, I'm, on, on my there.
0: vinyl pressing, it's not on it from 89. Yeah.
1: I've got an original pressing of it as well, and, and it's not on there. But in a way, I kind of feel like that's the album closer for me because the first time I heard it, I heard it on the CD version.
0: Oh, but so my first <laughs> copy was on cassette, and, and uh, the Edge of the World is actually the end of side
1: one. I know. It's it, isn't it weird how they used to order albums differently depending on the format? I mean, it makes sense, I guess, yeah. but I mean, I just don't know why they left it off of the vinyl. Maybe they didn't have enough room for it or something, but I don't know. Perhaps they had this like um idea that maybe it was too weird and then they immediately thought, "Actually, nah." But then again, Faith No More has never struck me as a band that felt like they could restrict themselves in any way
0: well they could have they could have had some pressure from the label maybe but i don't know yeah
1: because this is possibly their most commercial album uh, uh, yeah absolutely yeah. i think it's their best the best selling album that they've done and another important thing to note is that you know after the real thing you know faith the more kind of kind of fell out of favor in the us whereas like in places like europe and stuff angel dust was really well received and I feel like from what I've heard, Angel Dust got kind of kind of dogged in the U.S.
0: I mean, it didn't by me. I love that album when it came yeah, out, and it, it totally it, – it was one of those game changers for me. Um, but you are right. It is, it's weird to hear the backpedaling that the metal community has on a lot of albums where you know yeah. late, later on down the line, you, there's a lot of revisionist – shit that goes on where people are like, Oh, the angel dust. It was influential back in the day. It was not. I mean, it may have been to some (laughs) people, but you didn't listen to it until 10 years later or whatever the fuck, you know, whoever it is that's talking about it. I'm like, no, people didn't like it. And, um, and it blew, blew me away at the time, but we're talking about the real thing, which had a similar effect on me. The real thing was one of those albums that I always like to say was everything I never knew I wanted to hear. Like when it came
1: out, I think, you know, as well on any faith, no more album, you can tell it's them, but they never make the same album twice. Absolutely. And this album kind of got them lumped in with the funk metal thing, even though it's not strictly funk metal in any way, shape or form, apart from maybe Bill Gould's bass playing. But aside from that, you know, faith no more
0: even down you're right uh jim martin didn't play funk guitar any any time i don't remember him ever playing that so yeah
1: i find it so fascinating how a band can come out of anywhere and this is why faith no more are like joint first for my favorite band with metallica because while metallica i feel do a great job of the genre they're in yeah faith no more made their own genre you know faith no more can make um they're the only band that i feel i can actually convincingly have you know a thrash song and a lounge song in the same playlist without being a cocky asshole yeah <laughs> yeah but totally. like there's just something about the way they work that um you know obviously you've got so many different influences pulled from so many different areas they're like a i've heard the analogy used that they're like a Five pointed spider web, and they're all pulling off in their own distinct direction. Like, you've got you know, Jim Martin was obviously the metal guy, um, Mike Patton is you know, the man of a thousand voices, uh, or at least one of them. Uh, Bill Gould has his complete own style of bass playing, massively underrated. Uh, you've got Roddy Bottom's keys, you know, he kind of made keyboards cool. In a non-glam setting.
0: Yeah, he's like. he's one of those he's one of those people that the, the what he brings to the songs when you have an album like King for a Day where there's certain songs that don't don't have keyboard parts. I, I'm kind of like, oh, that sucks. Like I,
1: yeah,
0: <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I I like what he brings to it.
1: Yeah, and like this album, you know, for a while I started thinking, oh, maybe this album is like overrated. I was like, no, no, no. It 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 just it just has to you know stand with you know angel dust and king for a day and this is this is my second favorite um faith no more album behind angel dust yeah but my god if this like even when people turn around and say the production's dated i'm like is it though because it's so independent in its own in its own right that i i I honestly can't think of anything anything else that sounds like it yeah I times. just I just don't
0: that's I'll, I'll argue this point till I'm blue in the face about people talking yeah. about albums, the production being dated. I'm like, the fucking songs are dated. like it's dated to when it came out. <laughs> yeah so and the, the thing is, these albums came out when they came out. like that's the thing is that you don't hear like they're not going to go back and and uh completely remix um, I don't know, the first Led Zeppelin album. Because they're like, oh, it sounds like it came out in the early seventies. Yeah, yeah, that's what's great about it. And then, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, like, when that's why, like, I I hate remasters, but I mostly hate remixes and remasters. When it, it's it's like the album came out how it came out. It's a part of history. It's a part of a band's history. For some of us, it's part of our personal history. And and I like hearing the albums the way that they sounded at the time. And yeah. and. I don't want anything to be tweaked. I want it to sound how it sounded. And so, it. Does, sure, you could say that it sounds dated, but that you're, you're going to have to talk about every aspect of the actual album. And so this album sounds like 1989, and that's what's great about it. <laughs> you know, that's what's great about albums from 1989. They sound like that time period, so...
1: I I think, you know, the, the only thing, the only thing that strikes me as a big no, no with anything like dated is like when a band will say the name of the year in the song, but even then it doesn't bother me that much, you know, because like you say, the reason it's dated to a time period is because it came out then, you know? Well, (laughs) yeah, sometimes it's important
0: for, 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 I mean, I I mean, I'm not, I can't, I can't think of a rock song right off the bat that has a year in it. My, my, my brain immediately goes to Fight the Power by Public Enemy. <laughs> 1989, a number, another summer. I'm just like, yeah. But, that, but that, it brings you back to what was going on in 89. Um, I know we're yeah. rock and metal, and I'm not <laughs> talking hip-hop here. but um, hey, it's,
1: it's cool to branch out, dude. We, we, don't, we don't have to stay too rooted in the... I, I, I never will. <laughs> yeah <laughs> I'm all over the place. Yeah, and I think that's that's the best way to be because at that point you can discover so much so much cool shit. You know, I I went I think everyone in the metal community has had a point in their life where they were that all they wanted to hear was metal and I've been there. Me too. And to an extent I still am now because you know, at the end of the day it is my favorite genre of music. So Yeah. It, it it will be my go to but if i'm in the mood for something you know I, I i pride myself in my ability to listen to something like willie nelson nwa and fucking megadeth all in the same hour yeah because i, I it's fun to cast off these shackles of feeling like you need to pledge allegiance to one thing you know
0: yeah i mean yeah i, I that, that is an important um thing but some of sometimes I I think that there are different kinds. I think, I think it's because you and I are active music listeners. So I think when people like us listen to other things, I think it's, it, it, I give it more credit because I think, I feel like a lot of music fans are passive music fans and they barely pay attention to what's going on. So when somebody yeah. says to me, I listen to a little bit of everything. I'm like, well, no, you're telling me you don't listen to anything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's it's all, yeah. on, it's on in the background while you're doing something else.
1: Okay, fine. That's, but, that's become, that's become a big meme as of late in on like Facebook and stuff. I've seen, I've seen, you know, it's, um, people who say they listen to everything and then it's like a bus coming towards a person and the bus has like death metal written on it. And it's
0: like <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I mean, so, but, but that that's an interesting conversation to have while talking about the real thing, because the real thing is an album that takes a lot of different genre, uh, ideas and yeah. kind of puts them together. But faith no more was already doing that prior to this album. I just, this is obviously where they broke big. So just to, just to jump in, since this is also my number one, um, for 1989 it when this album came out um i was obsessed with it i was obsessed with sure. faith no more now if I, if i remember right the first video from this album was from out of nowhere it was and it didn't make a dent over here i don't think because my memory starts with the video for epic which actually came out in 1990 so my even though this is an 89 album, my relationship with it started in 1990 and I saw the video for Epic and as quickly as I could went and bought the cassette of the album. And from that moment on, this was pretty much my favorite band. And I was so obsessed with them that I would, I would tune in and, and video record all of their television performances I remember they were on um, Arsenio Hall and they were on uh, the, the MTV Awards and shit like that. And yeah. I had all of those. I had a VHS that was literally uh, uh, meant for Faith No More television appearances. And I would—I had <laughs> don't have it anymore, unfortunately. Aww. But everything that came up with this band, I recorded it and I would just watch them play and I'd watch Mike Patton and him doing his antics. And the one thing that I loved is the different ways that he would do certain songs on tv because you you hear hear him do epic and when he gets to the it's it what is it sometimes he would be like what is it and other times he'd go what is it and and i I would always be like what is he gonna do this time what what, what weird thing is he gonna throw in and so he was he was absolutely uh uh mesmerizing to watch still is today as a performer But that was my beginning of my relationship with that dude. And I had no clue that he was as prolific as he would let everybody know very soon after this album.
1: Oh, for um, sure.
0: But yeah, this album hit a nerve with me big time. And I I almost feel like it was so important because it felt like an album for outcasts. And and I, I felt like an outcast I have for the majority of my life. And this was an album that... I fortunately for me, I got on board with it before it really blew up. So I almost feel like I got to just go on the ride with these outcasts. Like they, they came into my life and then all of a sudden a lot of people were into it. And I was like, yeah, these, these are my buds faith. No more, <laughs> you know, <laughs> um, it was, uh, and like I said, like we said before, they were, they were a band that seemed to have a good sense of humor and they seemed like dudes that were weird, but in a weird, in a way that it made me want to go hang out with them. Yeah. Um, and I still feel that way today. Um, but really like the last thing I'm going to say about this album, it, it, we, we've already talked about how, I, I think it still sounds very unique today, but the big thing about the real thing for me and why it's number one for me in 89 is because among all these other albums, which minus acid rain, cause I didn't hear the acid rain album until several years later. But when it comes to albums that came out in 1989, this was the one that really opened my eyes to what can be done with rock and roll. Like, like you, you need to open your mind, dude. And I was that from that point on, I'm like, you know what? You're fucking right. Like, I'm not going to be limited to just one type of heavy music because obviously there's all of these things out there. And so the real thing was that first album that opened that door for me.
1: Awesome. It really, it really is a classic you know, Absolutely. And, I, and I feel like, um, Mike Patton in, himself is a fantastic vocalist and blows your mind. And he really has, you know, aged like a fine wine, cause he just gets better and better. And there's more, there's more flavors there to his, you know, yeah. if, if we were to list, you know, if we were ever going to do like a cranked and ranked Mike Patton that shit would take us like 3 months because the amount of projects <laughs> yeah. that he's like lent himself to you know you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to fit it on one page
0: yeah and also he's like one of those people i feel like you know how like there's great actors that they get older and they just get so honed in on their craft and so fucking good yeah. i mean a name that comes to mind is like maybe like robert de niro or you you could say somebody like that that they've aged and i feel like those dudes know how to do it and i feel like that's mike patton he's a guy that has always been really good at what he did but as he's gotten older it's almost like he's just effortlessly great at doing whatever he wants to do and he's he can any anything is believable with with yeah. mike patton and so so j- just a quick side note because earlier i was talking about why i didn't like pretty hate machine and it was this album, my brother's friend told me that Faith No More sucked and I needed to listen to Nine Inch Nails. And uh, I was he, was, like, he, he was wrong. Yeah, he was very yeah. wrong. <laughs> so <laughs> that's why it took me a, bit, a little bit to get into Nine Inch Nails because I was like, well, fuck that guy. And if those are Nine Inch Nails fans, fuck them too.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah. Yeah, I've, I've had to kind of um, divorce my mindset sometimes from um, – you Know having these associations with um bands that were listened to by people I don't particularly like, <laughs> yes. And I feel like if someone doesn't shut up about a band and they're a dick about it, that makes you want to hate that band, even if it's not their fault, yeah. Yeah, I, but I mean,
0: it, it works both ways. Like, I don't want to hear, I don't, I don't, I mean. I guess I guess when it comes with negativity like if you want to talk yeah. like like that's how that's my whole persona on YouTube and in the world of me talking about music is the fact that I'm going to I'm going to have diarrhea of the mouth as it was put to me in some comment <laughs> some some guys comment in one of my videos quoted me as being uh low rent Zach Wild with diarrhea of the mouth
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> And and I uh, think it's true um but uh but what i'm going <laughs> to i'm going to be constantly talking about how much i love music but i'm never going to shit on somebody else's music and i think that's the problem is the fact that if you're going to come at me with you need to listen to this because that's bullshit i'm like no if you, that last part is what made you completely irrelevant to me in mm. your in your in your suggestion
1: yeah you know I, there's a i will say on that note there's a podcast that i've kind of binge listened and it's called uh your favorite band sucks. Yeah. <laughs> Where they pretty much roast any band ever. You know, no one is safe from their uh wrath. But That's I, a little bit
0: different though. I feel like there's yeah. good, there's probably good-natured humor in that.
1: Oh yeah. It, regardless of how brutal it really is cuz we could do that like i mean yeah. my,
0: i mean our, our favorite band metallica we could probably do a whole a whole podcast talking shit and making fun of aspects of that band
1: he fucking <laughs> left the band
0: jason's the future metallica's the past
1: i'd love i'd love like an audio tape of like <laughs> lars ulrich Memorable quotes because there's just so many great great ones, and it's this like danish American accent that just just really I, makes it that much better. i really
0: I really enjoy doing a Lars Ulrich impression when I can really nail it because i can 't just do it and talk about whatever <laughs> I have to say a line that he said before yeah. but uh anyway let's let's uh let's wrap this up by talking about some honorable mentions because we Ooh, you and yes. I both had the same. Same problem where we had to leave out so many albums. I have a list of about thirty that ended up being whittled down to five. And, oh shit! <laughs> um, but I'm only but I'm only going to talk about. I'm going to do. I'm going to limit it to five um, <laughs> honorable mentions. Um, uh, do you want to? Do you want to? How many you got honorable honorable I've, mentions? I've got eight. Okay, so, you can so. you can go first. You just just go through yours and then I'll go through mine. Because you okay. may talk about, if you talk about one of mine, I'm going to stop you, and then we can just,
1: you know, go from there. I think there's going to be a few. Um, Probably. Okay. So, right off the bat, Alice in Hell by Annihilator.
0: Okay. That was not on my list at all. <laughs> <laughs> Oof
1: such a good album man where 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 was that
0: that is a where? band that has not connected with me um i like that album and the one after it. is it never never land the one after that yeah um but for some reason that band is one that hasn't connected with me where i know they're good but they haven't clicked with me and 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 maybe one day i'll get around to it that always happens there's always that band where you're like I hear something in that. And then something will happen five years down the line where you're like, where the fuck was I? And so I think (laughs) Annihilator
1: is probably one of those bands. I've, I've been there big time, but yeah, that, that makes me feel good because there's a deep cut we'll do in another episode that I'm going to throw in there. Cool. From Annihilator. If, if that wasn't obvious enough. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, next up, I've got altars of madness, morbid angel.
0: Oh, man, that is a good one. Shit, yeah.
1: <laughs> and then Beneath the Remains, Sepultura. That one's on my list. I was, yep, was going to a- say, that's got to be in there. <laughs> yeah, it is, totally. Bleach by Nirvana, which was in yours. Mm-hmm. Um, Mother's Milk by Red Hot Chili Peppers.
0: Yes, almost <laughs> made my top five. Yeah? It almost did. That is my favorite Chili Peppers album, and honestly, the last really great Chili Peppers album, in my opinion. But, um, But, yeah. I love that fucking album. So that is that is one of mine too.
1: Yeah, I'm a first out. I'm a first five albums guy with um, Red Hot Chili Peppers myself. So yeah, I, I would echo that. You know, in, include Blood Sugar Sex Magic. And I then, like
0: that. I like that one too. But I but it doesn't it doesn't hit me as as much as, as uh, Mother's Milk
1: does. Oh yeah, too right. And then Skid Row, Skid Row. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, '80s glam done exactly how it should be um and it's i mean
0: i wouldn't even call it glam it is just hard rock
1: music with an amazing
0: vocalist
1: i love sebastian bach killer killer pipes on that dude yeah here we go here is one now i've got to say something for this one slip of the tongue white snake all right okay i don't even know if i remember what what was the big single off of
0: that one was is this love on that one or is that the one before that's the one before
1: oh okay this one was kind of the follow up that didn't do as well, but st- it's the one with Steve Vai on it. Does this fool for your love on that? Uh, is, I'll be a fool for you. Yeah, that's no more. yeah, that's the one. All right, that that's the uh, re-recorded version of that one.
0: I'm not you a know, big fan of that band. That's a band that I need to try to dig into because I know they even have seventies material that I that I don't know. And so yeah. I gotta, one day I got to go and really give them a good listen. Cause I don't, I don't mind. I like that 80s shit. And I think Whitesnake seemed like a pretty fucking cool band. They wrote some cheesy songs, but some of those are brilliant, cheesy songs.
1: <laughs> I, th- I think Whitesnake are one of those bands that have done one of the biggest rebrands in history. Absolutely. <laughs> because, you know, the, their first like six albums, they would release like a new blues rock album every you, year.
0: You did a video on them, didn't you?
1: Yeah, I, I did. I, I remember did that.
0: Everybody, go uh, subscribe to Eddie Sparks and go watch his uh, his White Snake video. He he. If you want to learn about bands, I feel like I want Eddie to do a video for every band because he does it in the most entertaining way, and I learned
1: something at the end of the video. So I love it. Oh well, thank you, man. I I need to <laughs> I, I need I need to do more um more of those retrospective ones. I've been making a few like meme ones recently yeah. where like um. You know, I'll take a like clip from something and voice it over with clips of David Lee Roth being a fucking weirdo. <laughs> so, but yeah, I've I've got a I've got a new big video at the ready, ready to launch in the next week. So uh, nice. Watch watch this space, guys. Watch this space. <laughs> but yeah, I just wanted to chime in and say, Judgment Day from Slip of the Tongue is a fucking awesome song you you need to listen to that one all right i will and it it has the best 80s gated snare sound (laughs) ever recorded ever at exactly three minutes seven seconds into the song where they clearly just decided this one needs a little extra sauce so they just turned the fucking reverb bus up to fucking 11 and it just gets this (laughs) Light sound oh it's just it blows me away every time and my last um honorable mention is uh years of decay by overkill
0: awesome okay yeah that's a good one potatoes
1: so yeah so
0: so (laughs) just jumping off of overkill one of mine uh would be fabulous disaster from uh exodus yeah Um, amazing thrash metal album so you named some of mine so i'm going to go quickly here um, an album that is really special to me and important, but I can't argue that it's not one of their best is the album Presto from the band Rush, which came out in 1989. Um, and, uh, Rush is one of my favorite bands of all time, but Presto is low down on the list of albums for me. So it didn't make my list, but I, I love everything Rush put out. Um, one that neither one of us talked about, which I think is really interesting is Dr. Feelgood. Um, shit. We didn't. Yeah, we didn't right. include Doctor Feel Good, <laughs> which is which is fine because you guys can go listen to our two part Motley Crue album ranking video or or <laughs> podcast, whatever <laughs> it is, however you're you're taking this in, um, and hear us talk about Doctor Feel Good. But that's a fucking great 1989 album. Um, on the same token, uh, Cocked and Loaded by L.A. Guns is a fucking great album Ooh, that came out in 1989. Yeah. Um, you mentioned "Practice What You Preach," which is one of mine that I would have included. And it's really hard when it comes to hard rock albums and thrash albums, like I said, because there were so many of them. Um, but yeah, it's just it's really tough. But you know, "Louder Than Love" would have been one of mine as well. Same thing with "Pretty Hate Machine." There's there's just so many great albums that came out in 1989 that it just uh, it was really tough to narrow it down to five because it was a fucking fabulous year. Uh, another honorable mention that I didn't include That's a little more out of the left field Is the album Universe from the Canadian band Dead Brain Cells um, It is uh, Progressive thrash a la Voivod And um, It is uh, a fucking amazing album And that was an amazing band That I did a video on um, uh, One of my Bands You Should Know videos Is on Dead Brain Cells I think the first Bands You Should Know video I did was on them um, Which is on my YouTube channel Go subscribe um, But uh, so yeah, um, I, I'll, uh, I'll 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 kind of leave it there. Oh, wake me when it's over by Faster Pussycat. There's a lot of fucking great albums. I'm yeah. looking at my list here, and I'm all like, oh god, I didn't include that. And um, there's a yeah, so this was a tough one, but I think we can we can wrap things up and send everybody home with the idea that 1989 was a killer year for music because there was so much amazing shit. Yeah. So um, so there you go, our top fives of 1989 uh um i'm sure we'll do this again we'll, we'll probably have to pick maybe we should pick an, a year that um it's a little bit easier to narrow down <laughs> next time <laughs> but uh but this was fun um we'll have to do this again um, um for another year but uh anything you want to uh say for, to wrap this one up uh
1: what i would say is you know it- my favorite kind of time span in music would probably be about you know 87 to about round about 92 so everything everything in that chunk of time you know there's a high high possibility that i'll either own it or know it yeah for me
0: for me i would even
1: tick that up one year and go to 93
0: but um, oh oh, yeah yeah
1: I I'd, I'd say that's that there is really raining it in though. You know, I th- I think as a whole, my kind of decade of expertise would go from about 84 to 94. So you've got yeah. the, you've got the big hair stuff, you've got the thrash stuff, but you've also got the whole grunge thing as well. Yeah. So,
0: and so for me, the reason why 93 gets lumped in there is because that's when death metal was fucking huge. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and I was listening to a lot of death metal around that time. So but yeah, so I'm sure we'll talk about all of those years at some point. Um, so yeah, thank you all for, uh, for coming along with us on this uh, trip down memory lane into, into 1989. Um, and uh, yeah, it was fun. So uh, we'll, we'll be back again probably next week with another uh, band discography ranking. And I'm thinking it's going to be somebody that maybe you're not quite expecting because we have been hitting some biggies. Yeah. You know, so far we did Nirvana, Motley Crue, and Slayer. And I think we're going to rein it in a little bit and talk about more of a, what I think both of us would consider an underrated band. Most and, un- um,
1: underrated band of all time, in my opinion.
0: Okay, but we're not going to say anything else. You're <laughs> going to have to tune in next week. So yes, thank you for joining us for this edition of Cranked and Ranked. Um, if you know, if, subscribe to us on YouTube if you're not already. Eddie Sparks and Old Head, go uh, uh, um, watch our shit and uh, join us next time. Thank you very much for listening. And Eddie, take us out. Later, dude.